today's scripture reading is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. We ought, to, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love, um, the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have, been, who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. You know, the Bible teaches that Christians are one in Christ. And, and that means more than just that all Christians have one Savior. That it means there's a sense in which all Christians are one in the Savior. In other words, there's, this, there's a spiritual unity that exists among and between all people everywhere who've come to know Christ as their Savior. And this, this unity, it, trans, it transcends any kind of division that might normally exist between human beings. It transcends uh, ethnic divisions, political divisions, cultural divisions, denominational divisions. It, it, this union in Christ, it's so powerful, it even transcends that great division that, that's produced in our lives by death. Christ, Christians living right now in the world, in a sense, are still united with Christians who've gone on to be with the Lord. It's just this powerful union among those who belong to Jesus. Christians are one in Christ. Be because of this, whenever we hear news of believers in the Lord who are suffering for their faith, that ought to just move our hearts. Would you agree with that? Just, just deeply move us. That it, it's reported that around the world today, over 360 million Christian, Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. That's one in every seven Christians. In places like North Korea and India and Nigeria and Afghanistan, following Jesus might cost you your job, it might cost you your home, it might cost you the love of your family for you might cost you your life. So a, qu a question that 
those of us in the body of Christ who are not currently uh, enduring persecution, a question that we ought to be asking is, how, do we, how should we respond to reports of Christians who are suffering in this way? Well, the passage that Anne just read for us today is, is helpful in answering that question. This, this passage is taken from a letter that the Apostle Paul and his colleagues wrote to Christians in the ancient city of, of Thessalonica. And as you can tell from these verses, this letter was written to a persecuted church. Um, verse 4 mentions their perseverance and faith in all persecutions and trials they were enduring. Verse, verse 5 mentions their suffering. Verse um, 6 describes the trouble that was caused by people who were troubling them. Verse 7 describes their, their pressing need for relief from God. So this, this is a letter written to a persecuted church, to Christians who are suffering. And it, it just kind of helps us to see how we ought to respond to reports of their suffering. But let, let me suggest some ways from, from this passage that we really ought to respond to, uh, to this news that there are Christians united with us in Christ who right now are enduring persecution. So how should we respond? One, one, one response is that we should pray for them. The apostle says in verse 11, we constantly pray for you. And notice he doesn't say, you know, from time to time we mention you in our prayers or you know, every now and then we remember you before the Lord. He, he says, no, we constantly pray for you. You are, you are always on our minds when we come before God in prayer. Now, as I studied this passage this week, I, I just realized, and I need to confess this, my prayers for the persecuted church are very sporadic. Once in a while I will do this, but I, that, that needs to change in me. Paul says, we constantly pray for you. Now, somebody might ask, why would they do that? Why did Paul and his colleagues pray for these believers who were suffering? The answer is very simple. It's because God answers prayer. Sometimes you just need to remember that. Guys, God is real. God, God is not some thought that we like to entertain. God is real. He really hears us when he pray. we pray. He really responds when we pray. And it's perhaps one of the greatest things we could do for Christians who are suffering. One, uh, one Christian minister who spent over 25 years serving the church in India, here's what he wrote. He said, the greatest lack today is not people or money. The greatest need is prayer. He wrote, with increase, within Without increasing the number of workers and without increasing their financial support, we could see multiplied results if we would only multiply prayer. Now, if, if, you, if you were to begin, let's say, to pray regularly for the persecuted church, what, I wonder what would you say to God? What would you ask God to do for them? It's interesting to notice here, the apostle did not pray for their political freedom. He, he didn't pray for their, the legal protection of their civil rights. He didn't even pray that the persecution would cease. He, it says he, he basically he, he prayed that they would continue to grow in their faith, that they would stand firm in Christ. Verse 11 and 12, he says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition every your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he did, he, this is 
Remarkable, right? He didn't pray that their suffering would end. He prayed that their faith would stand. There's a, a website for an organization that works to support persecuted Christians. And on their website, they, they say this. It says, though frontline workers do have many needs as they advance the kingdom in hostile areas and restricted nations, their first request is always pray for us. Christians in Yemen say pray for us. Christians in Iran say pray for us. Christians in, in Chiapas in the southern part of Mexico who've lost their homes and their farms because they won't participate in rituals that they know are not honoring to God. They say pray for us. So how should we respond? We who live in affluence and freedom to reports that others are suffering first we should pray for them secondly uh, is suggested by this passage we should thank god for that verse starting at verse three paul says we ought always to thank god for you brothers and sisters and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Verse 5, he says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. This, I find this fascinating. Rather, rather than viewing suffering Christians as some kind of problem that needed to be solved, the apostle thanked God for the persecuted church. Isn't that strange? Imagine if you were to hear a report of a church being bombed in Egypt, or if you were to hear a report of, of uh, school children in Nigeria being kidnapped, Christian school children. Imagine if you were he to hear a report like that, and your first re response would just say, oh God, thank you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for them. Now why would, why would anyone say that? It's important to notice. The apostle did not thank God that they were suffering. No, he thanked God for what would be accomplished through their suffering. He just knew that as they stood in the, the midst of these trials, God would use their faith to accomplish great things. And, and, and this is always the way it is. There's, listen, nothing does more to proclaim the truth of the gospel to the watching world. And nothing does more to just awaken spiritually lethargic believers... Than, than to see Christian men and Christian women who are willing to suffer for their faith. Tertullian, uh, writing back in the second and third centuries, he wrote this famous line. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When, when people are willing to have their blood shed for Jesus, you can't stop the gospel from having power. So Paul says, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions you are enduring. He's, he, said, he said to the Thessalonians, listen, we're not embarrassed by your suffering. We, we go around boasting about it. You see, even, even though they were suffering, verse 3 says, their faith was growing more and more and their love for one another was increasing. I, I, I wonder what their persecutors thought when they saw this. I wonder if they just said, whew, who in the world are these people? What is this strange power they have? We, we beat them up for trusting Jesus. They just trust Him more. 
We make fun of them for how they love each other. They just love each other more. What's, what's going on here? I wonder how other churches in, in the ancient world responded when they heard the report about the Thessalonians. I wonder if, if believers were just inspired by their example to live wholeheartedly for Christ. Um, Fum Chow is a pastor among the Hmong people of Vietnam who was arrested and imprisoned and tortured and severely beaten for teaching the gospel. And after he was finally released from, from jail, this is what he says. He says, I praise God that the police beat me and persecuted me. I thank God that this situation happened to me because after the persecution, many of my people became Christians. It, it, it also made the church leaders strong in their faith and helps them continue to serve God. But how should we respond? We hear these reports of the suffering church. Pray for them. Thank God for them. And then finally, one, one other way. We, we should respond by being ready to join them. Right, right now, we live in a context of uh, political freedom and great affluence and creature comforts and innumerable conveniences. So uh, right, right now, we are really not facing much opposition for our faith. I mean, listen, get, getting a few mean comments on your Facebook post, that's not persecution, right? We are living in a relatively safe and comfortable situation, but that could change. You could reach a tipping point in a culture where things just change very quickly. First, First Timothy 3 verse 12 said, says this, it says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Jesus in Mark 13 said, everyone will hate you because of me. So we should, listen, we should not be surprised if someday we find that we too are called upon to suffer hardship for the sake of Christ. So here's a question, how would we be ready for that? How would we prepare ourselves for that? Well, in this passage, the apostle helped to prepare these ancient Christians for, for, the, for the persecution they were facing. He helped prepare them by reminding them that the way things are right now is not the way they will always be. In, in, in other words, this life is very, very short. And eternity is very, very long. The way things are right now, it's not the way they will always be. Verse 6 to 10, he reminds them that the day is coming when Christ himself will return to this earth. He will come in power. He will come in glory. He will come to judge this world. Middle of verse 7, he says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believe. Wow, those, are, those are sobering words, aren't they? I, I would think that any, anyone hearing those words who has not yet turned to Christ in, in repentant faith really should think long and hard about what those verses are saying. But it, it's important also to remember that these, these words of Paul here, these were not written primarily to scold the world as, as much as they were written to comfort the church. It, it, listen, Christians, 
who face the rejection of their peers or who, who face the, the disapproval of their family, Christians who, who face ridicule from their culture be, because of their commitment to follow Christ can take comfort in, in this thought that their suffering here is only temporary. The way things are right now, it's not the way they will always be. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. A, a former pastor in Iraq uh, recounted the time that a Kurdish woman who was preparing for baptism explained to him that, that from the moment she was baptized, her entire family would forever disown her. And then she said to this pastor, Jesus is worth it. This pastor later wrote, when the boot is on your neck and all hope is crushed from your world, the hope of heaven is sweet and comforting treasure. Christ will come, verse 10 says, to be glorified in His holy people, marveled at among all those who believe. So why, why should we be ready to just join with the persecuted church in suffering for our faith? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. To be glorified among His people. To be marveled at uh, uh, among them. He's coming back. Uh, Ajif, Ajif uh, Fernando is a theologian from Sri Lanka who um, years ago was offered a dream job teaching as a professor at a seminary here in the United States. He would live in affluence, he would live in peace, he would live in safety, he would have a name for himself, and he rejected the job and went back to Sri Lanka, his home country, where there's great, great violence to serve God there. Now, why would anyone do that? A few years ago, 2019, in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday morning, um, as Christians gathered in churches, different places, eight bombs went off throughout that land. 290 Christians died. Over 500 were injured. Why, why would you leave behind a cushy job here in the States to go back to a place like that? Well, in, in one article that, uh, that uh, Dr. Fernando writes, he, he explains his reason to boil down the whole article. Why would he go live in a place like that? One word. Heaven. Heaven. Here, here's what he writes. He says, persecution is terrible to go through. I have friends and students in Sri Lanka who live with great fear and uncertainty and have children who are terrified at what's happening around them. But, he says, heaven is presented in Scripture as a place where these sufferings do not exist anymore. Then he quotes from the book of Revelation. Christ will wipe away for every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So, believer in Christ, are you prepared to face rejection or ridicule or derision for the sake of Christ? One of the ways that you arm yourself Prepare yourself to, to face that. It's just by filling your heart with the hope of heaven. And, and by the way, if, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not trusting and following Christ, I, I want to ask you, did, you, did you notice in this passage that this great 
promise of, of heaven. In middle of verse 10, this is offered, it says, to all those who have believed. To anyone. It, everyone. If you, would, if, you, if you turn to Christ in faith, listen, this great promise, it's offered to you. Jesus, Jesus today, today, is offering His kingdom to you. So just to sum up what I've been trying to say today, in, in Christ, believers have union. We are one. Paul, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. Well, there are parts of the body that are suffering today. There are brothers and sisters around the world suffering for them, their faith. How, how should we respond? Let's pray for them. Let's thank God for them. And um, for the sake of the kingdom, let's, let's be ready to join them for the sake of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for brothers and sisters who've gone before us and who have faced great challenges and sacrifices for the kingdom. We thank you for brothers and sisters in the world today who are doing the same. We thank you that we are of one body and one family with them. And we have the same Savior. And so we pray that you would strengthen and build our hearts and our faith so that we, without fear or shame, would be ready to stand for Christ, to face ridicule for His sake, to be, to be ready to be numbered among the saints in glory. We thank You that this is Your gift to all who receive it. In Jesus' name, Amen.